0: Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through Him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. I requested that song on purpose. I'm sure you probably gathered that. <laughs> lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, come as you are. Because it doesn't matter whatever else I speak about today today. And I want to speak about your purpose, your purpose in Christ, why you were created uniquely on this earth to actually go out and do what God had provided for you. I mean, at the very beginning, while you were formed in your mother's womb, he had laid this out for you. But that doesn't happen if you first don't lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. And just come as you are. You don't have to get your life right first. God doesn't want you to try to make everything right before you come to him. He wants you to come to him as you are. Your brokenness. Your shame. That sin. He loves you. Right now, as you are, whatever you've done in the past, whatever you're doing right now, whatever happens to be that you believe is making you unworthy of his love, he doesn't care. He does not. That is beside the point you come to him. And he will receive you. And so if you haven't got I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years, if you've got something back in there in the back of your mind right now, I want you to lay that down. I want you to get rid of it. I want you to just, that's not important. Take it to God. Come to Him. Because unless we do that now, everything else I say for the rest of this morning is useless. It means nothing. It is less just not important so let's pray and let's let's get our minds and our hearts right to come receive him and receive his word and his message today so first off so let's just pray heavenly father (laughs) we so thank you that you do not judge us based on our sinful nature. (laughs) You do not judge us for what we have done in the past, what we're doing now, what we're going to do in the future. You just love us. And because of that love, you sent your son to die on that cross in our place so that we can have fellowship with you. That you can replace our brokenness with his wholeness. That you can replace our sinfulness with his righteousness. And so that, Lord God, when you look at us, when you see us seated here, you don't see the broken, sinful creatures that we are. You see Jesus. Because that's who we put our trust in. That's who we rely on. Lord God, that is who we come to for our hope and our salvation. It's only through him. We thank you so much, Lord God, that you've done that so that you can restore these broken men. You can restore us, Lord God, so that we can live for you. We can let you live through us so that we can have fellowship with you and that we can glorify you here on this earth. We can lift you up. And we thank you so much for that, Lord God we pray that in your son's name. And everybody said, Amen. Now I'm hoping that you all got that, right? Because if you haven't got that, I don't care. The rest of this is going to be meaningless. It just doesn't mean a thing because it can't be effective to you. You can't live out a life, and that's what we're going to talk about, a life of purpose. Do you know that where you are right now, do you have a purpose that God gave to you? Right? In fact, I've talked about it before. And that's why we was 2 Timothy. That's why I read that in verse, chapter 1. It's primarily verse 9. Who saved us and called us with a holy calling? Is I still coming through? Yep. Okay. Okay. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And he called us. That purpose he has. And I've talked to you before about different things. And I think this is just a continuation of that. Because this is what's been burning in my heart. I've talked to you before on different things, right? I've come here and told you, grow up. Christ did not want us just to live and just drink the milk, right? He wants us to eat meat eventually. Look at all the kids we got here. We got young ones. We got older ones. I mean, your kids started out drinking milk, right? What do they eat now? Everything. That's right. And you got teenagers. What do they eat? everything if you got a full refrigerator give it six minutes and it's gone yeah I told you to grow up right mature Christians eat meat you should be beyond the milk at this point in time I've had another time when I came here and talked to you what's your spiritual gift that's part of growing up right do you know your spiritual gift? At this point in time, you should be investigating to find out what it is. Evangelism, teaching, you know, whatever, hospitality. Whatever it is, you should be seeking, seeking it out and finding out what is your spiritual gift. That's part of maturity, isn't it? I said, I also came and told you, here's your target. Right? Right? putting that target right in the middle of your back. Because if you start to do those things, if you grow up and you start looking at the meat of the the word of God and you start maturing and you find your spiritual gift and you start operating in that gift, what happens? You rise up above the crowd and you make yourself a target. Because if you're effective in your life, if you're actually going have an effect for the kingdom of God, if you're standing and where you're standing, the kingdom of God is, that makes you a target. Because the enemy does not want to allow any type of incursions into his ground. He will fight whatever is coming and taking away his kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light has come in. Guess what? He wants to fight that back. And you need to stand firm. And if you stand firm, what does it say in Scripture? He will flee from you because the darkness cannot stand the light. Right? I've been telling you those different things, and I want you to get it. And I also told you last time I was here, what's coming Didn't we look at the signs of the times and the seasons? Didn't we look through Scripture and start looking at all the different things that Christ told us was going to happen at the end times? And for a long time, all it was was primarily I heard when when I was a young teenager, Vietnam was going on, right? And every night, Walter Cronkite talked about all the people that were wounded in action, those were killed in action. So we had wars and rumors of wars, all those different things. I was alive during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And all I thought, okay, those are kind of nice little signs of the end times, but all those different things as far as people calling evil good and good evil weren't there, but they are certainly now within the last couple of weeks, they're saying that men can have babies. Literally. If you haven't been paying... You don't even have to pay close attention to the news to find out things that were never were and could never be are now being called good and normal. Are the end times coming? Yeah. Because it's... Get, I don't know when it's going to happen. We know in Scripture, we have no idea when it's going to happen. But it's coming. It is coming. And therefore, that's why I wanted to talk to you today. What is your purpose here? If you are still here on this earth, and obviously since I'm looking out here and you all seem to have a pulse, no one's falling over, You know, if we did, we'd be doing, performing CPR, that type of thing, you know, whatever. Since, and this is, you know, since you're still here sitting upright, you're still breathing, your heart's still, you have a purpose. And we want to find out what that is. So first I want to define what purpose is. I had that in here. I had it, had it as nouns and verbs, but the whole, whole thing is it provides direction motivation, intention, ambition. Your purpose helps direct what you need to do. It, it's, it's kind of a verb. It helps you to, to focus in on what really is important. It helps you to narrow down that wide thing of what you can do and, and narrows it down so you can move forward. It's an intention. It's a, it's a means to something. It's a plan or a design. That is the the Webster's kind of dictionary um, thing. But guess what? It has a spiritual connotation to it, right? I mean, you have to have some direction. You have to have some meeting. You have to have some motivation. In fact, let's think about it really, really quickly. What was your motivation to be here today? And then we go, like, kind of, we, you know, when you talk about newspaper things, they have to have who, what, when, where, and why. Well, we know the who is. That's you sitting right there. What your here, when is today, and where is in this local place, but the why is the reason you're here, right? What was your motivation to get up on a weekend to show up here, right, to come together with a bunch of other people, some people you never associate with even outside of this local, local building, right? What's your motivation? Now, some of you may have been because mom and dad says you're coming, right? Or the fact is that, oh, I've got to go and I've I've got to serve today. I've got to work with the kids or I'm here to, you know, whatever your motivation is, you're here today. Now, hopefully that motivation was to come and serve the Lord. So some motivations can be good. Some motivations can be bad. We need to have the correct ones in accordance with scripture. And if you have that, you're going to actually make a difference. So. Let me give you a couple of examples where purpose really meant something, a proper purpose, I guess. I want to kind of give back, my wife was over at um, a nice little fellowship over in Chapel Hill this last weekend, and she's also talking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott McClintock, retired United States Army, helicopter pilot in Vietnam, one Thousand hours of flying in combat Twice shot down He has a reason for having PTSD Wouldn't you think? Post-traumatic stress. I would think that flying around a little Huey helicopter in Vietnam with people with big bullets shooting back at you Being shot down twice crashing those little helicopters. Would he have not have a reason for PTSD? He doesn't. And do you know why? He had a purpose. He knew why he was there. That purpose overrode all this other stress and everything else was coming on to him. He knew why he was there. He is a Christian. I'm not sure if he was at that point in time, but he he was a Christian. And he was over there specifically because he knew he was supposed to be there and he was fighting communism. And so although he had all of these things, these stressful situations, every time you're getting ready, guess what? The stress starts not before you get in that cockpit, you hit that stick, and you put your feet on those two little things that moving around or whatever. Before he ever flew, he had to check that thing. He knew he was heading into danger. Stress started as soon as he got the briefing that they were going to go out and do something. That stress never left until they came in and land back in the firebase, And even then, because maybe somebody else didn't make it back. So he had a reason. But purpose. Purpose allowed him to be able to overcome that stress and not have some of the problems these other people have. Because remember, think about it. If you have purpose, that motivation, that intention... Think about those guys that were sent over there, and they didn't want to be there. Think about it. Their purpose was just to get through. Those are some of the guys that had, without anything above to look for, to hope for, to trust in and rely on. Those are the guys that suffer today. Okay, lest you think that this is not scriptural, Let's look at Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is another example, and I'm going to read kind of a little thing. It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Did Jesus know what he was coming here to do in this world? when he became a man, he knew what his purpose was. And if he did not have that, if he did not know exactly why he was here, do you think that he would have stayed on that cross? Would you think that he would have been allowed to have been led to the cross? Do you think that he would have been captured? Because remember... Peter had that sword, and he cut off one of the ears of one of the people, and he, and he healed him, you know. He could have called in legions of angels, because remember who he is he? Who did Joshua say he was? He's the captain of the Lord's host. Do you think there would have been enough human men there with swords and spears and whatever else, to capture him to overcome legions of angels. No! And every time when you look at scripture, what happens when an angel appears? They get scared. We're not talking about the little things that, you know, the paintings and stuff, Raphael and all those stuff, the cute little ones. W- Angels are not cute. <laughs> yes, that's a good way. They're not. They are a danger, they are dangerous creatures. They are meant to fight. And they fight, I tell you what, they they are constantly fighting against those angels that Lucifer brought with him out of heaven. These guys are combat veterans. They know how to use their weapons. They know that when they face up against something, this is not something new. They know how to fight. And when they stand before humans, humans cower in fear because this is something they cannot overcome. Jesus would not have been led to that cross silently had he not allowed it. His purpose was to come to save us. That purpose allowed him to stay on that cross until he finally said it is finished. He had to pay the price in full. Anything less than that and we have no hope. So purpose is important. Purpose allows us to live our lives in such a manner that we are able to live, and allow Christ to live through us. So what does Scripture say? About, and, there's, and I'm only going to bring a few Scriptures out here because there are so many Scriptures about it, different things, but I just pretty much want to bring up two things about what your purpose is in Jesus Christ. And that is to have fellowship or walk with Him and to glorify God. So let's look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it's really, I, I like it when scripture is pretty specific and it says, saying to you, He has told you, O man, what is good. But this is what I really want to talk to you. The, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Just to walk with Him. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. Let's look at De- Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And I know these are Old Testament, Old Testament things, but guess what? The precepts established in the Old Testament did not change in the New. Those precepts continue on. All they do in the New Testament is to help define how we should live now in Jesus Christ. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? I love it when the fact that he just specifically comes out and says, this is what you got to do. There's no mincing words, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I'm glad that Rocky brought that up about three weeks ago. How do we obey God? We don't obey God and then love him. We love him so that we can obey him. And that's what God is saying back in Deuteronomy. Love him so you can do that. You can walk in his ways. Adam, how was he created for? What was he created to do? In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, I think it's something like it says, And the Lord God said, let us, plural, create man in our, plural, image. Why? So that he could have fellowship with him. What did Adam do with God in the garden? He walked with him and talked with him. You know, like the song says, walk with him and talk with him. That's what God wanted. He wanted fellowship. What happened with Enoch? He walked with God and was no more because God took him, right? He had fellowship with the Lord. When you walk with people, it's kind of interesting. um, When we walk with people and we're talking with them, we're having fellowship. That's a closeness and intimacy together with the two of you. And if you're walking with the Lord, that is a fellowship, the intimacy, the constant face-to-face, the talking back and forth. And as you're going along on your journey, he is there with you. So that's one thing we have. One of our purposes, one created in Genesis chapter 1 is for us to have fellowship with God. Okay, let's look at another one. Another thing we're supposed to do, which is to glorify God. Matthew 5, chapter 16, um, Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your shine, light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. What is the reason you're here? To help glorify Him. What what does it say? We are His feet and His hands, right? Spirit is residing within you. And us living for Him allows us to glorify God. Where we stand is the kingdom. And where that kingdom is, it glorifies God. That's Matthew 5, verse 16. Look at um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. God, you're here to glorify Him. Let's look at one more Romans 15, 6. So that with one purpose and one voice, you may do what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a purpose? So, what are the two things we're supposed to do? Walk with Him and have fellowship, and glorify Him. That's it, that's your purpose. Isn't it cool that God does not say, you've got to be a Levitical priest in the order of Aaron. You've got to be a pastor, that you've got to be an evangelist, that you've got to be an apostle, that you've got to be a teacher, that you've got to be whatever it is. He doesn't put that on you. God allows you to do what you do, but all you have to do is walk with him and glorify him. You could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You could be the janitor that works in one of the smallest buildings of that Fortune 500 company. You could be a secretary. You can be a nuclear medicine technologist. You can be a medical assistant. You can be whatever. You are. That's all that God asks. He doesn't tell you, you've got to be a specific thing. He says that while you are going, remember when, what it says in the final Great Commission, as you are going, make disciples, right? He doesn't care what you do to earn a living. He doesn't care what you do. He wants you just to walk with him, have fellowship with him, and glorify him. Those are the only two requirements. That's it. Isn't that cool? Because that means every single one of you is now qualified to do what you do. You don't have to go out and try to become like Matthew. You don't have to come out to be like Carolyn. You don't have to be, I'm an intercessor. I don't, I'm an evangelist. I'm a prophet. You don't have to do You have to be you. And you have to be willing to allow him to use you and you have to walk with him let's look at let's look at how jesus fulfilled these requirements both to have fellowship with god and to glorify him look at real quick mark chapter 1 verse 38 let's bring that up he said to them let's go somewhere else or to the towns nearby so that i may also preach there for this is why i came what was he doing And we knew it in John chapter 17. I and the Father are one. I only do the things that I see the Father doing. Is he walking with God when he's doing this? God has told him. Yes, he is. And what is he doing? Is he glorifying God? Yes. His purpose was to come to seek and save the lost. He saw that purpose and he knew what he needed to do. And that's what he did. Let's look at Luke chapter 4 verse 43. But he said to them, I must. He didn't have a choice because he knew his purpose. He knew why he came. He knew why he was going to come and die on that cross. I must also preach the kingdom of God to the other cities because I was sent for this purpose. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why he was here. He lived it out. He had fellowship with God because he says, like I said, in John chapter 17, he talks about he had fellowship with him. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So let's look at how do you live out your purpose? Because a lot of, you know, I don't know if you know what your purpose is in this life. I'm hoping that all those different things that I've talked about before growing up. And there's a good one. Dr. John Garr, if you ever look it up on saying he's got a really good talk out it's called move on you don't sit where you're at you don't just you're supposed to move on when you hear the calling of God and the calling of God does it keep moving forward yeah it keeps on changing stay with him fellowship with him glorify him and if you are doing that you're going to know where he's going and if you know where he's going guess what you got to get up pick up and move on with him to stay in that river so let's look at colossians chapter 3 verse 23 i love it because exactly what it said in scripture it says just do two things walk with me and glorify me what does it say whatever i love that word whatever you do do your work hardly as for the lord rather than for men what is your purpose what's your focus again a Purpose gives you ambition, gives you intention, allows you to focus on that so that you can move forward in what you're supposed to be doing. So whatever you do, do it as for the Lord rather than for men. If you are a janitor, you clean that floor with excellence such that anybody that walks into that building goes, wow. Let's look at the next one. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I think I've already said this one before. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, and I love this word again, or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Simple, right? Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, whether you speak, whatever you do, whether you're in service, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a, you know, Whatever. Whether you bring things for kids to play with, whether you go up there and you teach the kids, or whether you just change diapers, it's, it's interesting. The Jews never separate what is spiritual and what is, you know, whatever normal, physical, whatever, whatever the opposite of spiritual is. It doesn't. There's no separate function there. Whatever they do in their life is worship everything they do it's not considered irrelevant everything you do is worship if you're doing it for the right reasons whatever do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks for him to god the father isn't that interesting what is it you you do today When you leave here today, I don't know, most of you got jobs, most of you got different things, right? You got things you have to do. I've got to put, I've still got a mortgage. We're working on other things. I've got to go back out to work. What do I have to do? I serve my patients when they come in to me, I take care of them. I do the best I can. I can pray for them silently, and I do that. I pray that they get healed. That their hearts are healed because that's why I look at I work for a cardiologist. And so I can pray that they are healed. And it's amazing different things that happen to these people. And they don't have to come back to me, which is really cool. It's bad. I'm working my way out of a job. But that's okay. Whatever you do. Like Don, he was a veterinarian, right? Whatever you did, you did for the glory of God. Taking care of cattle, doing the vaccinations, keeping them. That had ramifications across this country. Because if all those cattle got sick, you go to Ingalls and you try to buy that steak, it's not there. Right? If he wasn't doing his job to the best of his abilities, it affects every single one of us. Each of you has a unique set of skills. And you are set in such a place that none of us can ever reach. And you've got to live that life so that you can reach those people where you are and whatever you're doing. Right? You'll have a purpose. Okay, let's go to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to give you an example of someone who knew his purpose. But guess what? Sometimes these purposes that you have in your life can take a while to develop. Do things happen overnight? No. No. Good grief. There's a do great preachers and stuff naturally start out as preaching really well? Not necessarily. Do people that know how to fly airplanes know how to fly them as soon as they get in the cockpit the first time? No. That's why they put them in simulators. And that's why they start practicing. They start doing a lot of different things. They have a lot of ground school. And when they first go up, do they fly with somebody else? Yes. Why? They don't want the plane to crash because that pilot is not good. It's finally when you graduate and you can take that solo, and then you can fly and you come back and you can prove that you're a pilot that they allow you to fly it by yourself. Things take time to develop. Including your own purpose in your life, and let's look at Galatians chapter one, verse eighteen. This is Paul, the apostle Paul, and I'm going to bring these things. I'm going to bring it, Look at what it says, and then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed there with him for fifteen days. So remember, three years. Okay, let's look at Galatians chapter one, verse twenty-two. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which are in Christ. Where is Judea? That's part of the Jewish homeland, right? They didn't know Paul. Why? Where was Paul? He was, yeah, he was in different places. He was on his missionary journeys, right? Where was he going to? The Gentiles. For a number of years, for a time that he was out there. They didn't even know him by sight. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. 14 years. Years later. So we had three years, we got 15 days, and we have an unknown unknown period of time when he's traveling around, and the people of Judea never even saw him. And now we say he comes back to Jerusalem finally after 14 years. And let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. And this is the Apostle Paul. Do you think you're better than Paul? By no means am I even equating myself to even. Good grief. This guy, wow, he's amazing. Anyway, Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, what? So that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So we know for at least 17 years before Paul was recognized for his missions to whom the Gentiles This is Paul. Did it take a period of time? Yes. Do we expect anything less in our lives? I mean, Paul, you read through what Paul did. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, as far as men with no, I mean, this guy sat under Gamaliel, the teacher of all the Jews. This guy was, he is up there, man. And he still took time over 17 years that we know of in Scripture before he was ever recognized as the missionary to the Jews. So why would we expect that our purpose, that our progress, that what we're supposed to do is going to automatically happen, boom, overnight? No! Because why? Because God wants to perfect you. He's going to allow you to stumble. He's going to allow you to fall. And he's going to say, okay, get back up. Repent, move on. That didn't work, did it? Let's do something else. Okay. I did tell you how to do it right, but you didn't want to listen. Well, your fellowship and your walk with me wasn't quite as good, right? But that's okay. You didn't hear me rightly then. You're going to do it later. Get up. Let's move. Move forward. You're going to fail, people. If you haven't started in your mission work, whatever your purpose is, at this point in time, is it because you fear a failure? Well, guess what? You're going to fail. You're not going to do it right the first, second, third. You could be doing it for 10 years and still mess up. The whole point is God doesn't want you to give up. You continue to walk. You continue to do, go forward. You continue to move. It's kind of interesting. You know, it talks about the fact that you, your tongue is the rudder and it helps steer the ship. Do you realize you can't steer a ship unless it's moving forward? Isn't that right? That rudder does nothing if the ship's not actively moving. Keep moving forward. Grow up. Find your spiritual gift. Learn what you're supposed to do. What's your purpose in life? What is it you're supposed to be doing? And that's a New Testament thing. For for more than 17 years, Paul was before Paul was recognized for his purpose here on earth. Interesting. Unless you forget, Old Testament still has some of these same things. Let's look at it real quick. Well, we don't have to go there because it's Genesis chapter 37. Do you remember Joseph? And the many-colored coat, that type of thing. Chapter 37 in Genesis talks about when he gets it. How old was he, do you reckon? Come on, just tell me some numbers. How old do you think he was when he got it? 12. 8, 12, 13. Young, right? Why do we say below 13? Huh? Manhood. Age of majority when you're a Jew, right? There's a lot of different specific requirements you've got to do. And when you turn age 13, you get your bar mitzvah or your bath mitzvah. You are now recognized as an adult. And that's where the father comes out in the middle of the town square. He puts his hand on his son's head. One of these days, you're going to have the opportunity and the blessing of being able to bless your son when he's getting ready to go out. And you can put your hand on his head. You can say, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what they do. Same thing happened to Jesus. Remember when he was baptized and he came up out of the water, the dove descended upon him. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And that started his ministry. Because God had assigned it and said, look everybody, this son, whom I love, is now able to enter into contracts With me and my family, he is an adult. He has grown up. So, Joseph, chapter 37, has his dream. And he tells his brother about it. They're all going to bow down to me. That's because he's immature. He's kind of a little bit stupid. I mean, good grief. You think they're not going to notice that you have been raised up above me, especially Reuben and the other older brothers? You're an older brother. Sometimes does your younger brother bother you. If you had not nodded your head, I would have looked at your mother and said, you need to talk with him. <laughs> of course you're going to fight. Good Lord, my mom made us. When I was growing up with my younger brother, we're only 18 months apart. She said, when you're going to fight, go outside. <laughs> we broke furniture. We'd get wrestling on the floor. Yeah, rolled over and... I tell you what, it didn't take longer until we were older and we could really hurt each other that we stopped doing that. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so he was a young man. Genesis chapter 39 through 41. What happens to Joseph? What's the first thing? His brothers are jealous of him. He comes out to see them. What do they do with him? They they thought to, yeah, they put him in a pit. And they were gonna kill him, I think. They wanted to. Fortunately, God had different ideas, right? And here come the Ishmaelites. They come from Midian. And they come along, and what do they do? Sell him into slavery. Yes. Taken down to Egypt, right? When he gets to Egypt, what happens to him? Sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. Who's Potiphar? You guys remember that part of the story? Captain of the guard. Exactly. Exactly. This is no peon. (laughs) What do you think you have to do to be the captain of the guard for the pharaoh in Egypt? You got to be pretty responsible, right? You got to be pretty trustworthy. And the fact is, how does he know you're responsible and trustworthy, right? On the things that you did. You've got a resume you probably worked hard. You probably were given different, uh, different things of responsibility. You did well with them, moved your way on up. Because guess what? The pharaoh has the captain of the guard. Why does he have him? To keep him alive. People don't like kings. They don't like when kings say you do this, whatever. There's a constant, you know, it says, what is it? In Shakespeare it says heavy, wear, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Because everybody's against you. So you got to have good people around you. You got I mean you got this is like the head of the the secret service. Potiphar is a pretty important guy. And what happens to Joseph while well, he's there? He, huh? He has favor. He has favor and he becomes his personal advisor. He becomes the man the only person second in that house, he's second in the household. Potiphar is high, Joseph is second. What happens is later on, of course, Potiphar's wife goes after him. He runs away and then guess she falsely accuses him. Where does he get put in jail? It's interesting. He's put in prison, but it's the king's prison. Why is that important? Because he's got to be able to come into contact with the king somehow. You can't just put him in a pauper's prison. You got to put him in a specific spot and he gets there. Guess what? He's got favor again and everything is put in charge for him. Uh, Joseph is put in charge. Of everything the jailer chief jailer didn't have to do anything because Joseph was in charge for all those years. And of course, then, uh, because it is the king's prison, the cupbearer and the baker come down there. They tell him the dreams. He interprets the dreams. Those things happen. They go back. He says, remember me. The baker is killed the cupbearer is still alive two years later and this is a period of time we don't know but anyway two years later the Pharaoh has a dream and he has no idea what in the world this thing means cupbearer remembers Where does Joseph go no, yeah he comes up and tells the Pharaoh his dream and what it means and Pharaoh puts him in charge Of everything. So we know that he is probably under the age of 13. And what does it say in Scripture? It says in Genesis chapter uh, 39 or whatever, it says, made ruler of Egypt and prepares for the famine at 30 years old. Was this overnight? No. It took a long time. The interesting thing of it is if you look at Genesis chapter 39 verses 2 and 21, why was he successful at it? With it, Because it says, because the Lord was with Joseph. It's kind of interesting. Okay, if the Lord is with Joseph, is Joseph also with the Lord? I think it's implied. What are the two things we're supposed to do to work out our purposes in God? Have fellowship with him and to glorify him did Joseph do that if the Lord was with him and Joseph was with the Lord he had fellowship with him didn't he and if you start looking at what he was doing did he not glorify the Lord yes and he brought him to the point where he stood before kings you know what it says is it in Proverbs where it says a man that is skilled in his labor will stand before kings doesn't matter if you're a woodworker a baker a janitor, whatever, if you do those things that we talked about up in there, whatever you do, do to the glory of God, you will stand before kings. A friend of mine, he, is a, he raises fish, trout. Now, is that something you hear about every day? Is that a grand and glorious occupation? No, but he is so good at it that he has been taken to other countries to show them how to properly raise fish. A man that is skilled in his labor will stand before kings. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what your occupation, it doesn't matter where you are right now. Your job is just to have fellowship with him and glorify him. And if you do those two things, you will live out your purpose in God. So, what is your purpose? Right now, I want you to sit there and think about it. I want, you to, I want you to ask God, do you know what your purpose is? Some of you probably do, some of you may not. Some of you are sitting there, and we, you know, you get, you hear people, I guess, in the news and everything, what's the meaning of life? Well, <laughs> we've already talked about that. The overall, come to Jesus Christ and then have fellowship with him and glorify God. And if you do those things, you will have meaning in your life. And it doesn't matter what you do. So think about it right now. Have the Holy Spirit speak to you. If you do not know what your purpose is right now, why are you still here? Why are you still sitting upright in that chair, breathing and your heart's going? If you don't know what your purpose is right now, ask him. You know, it does say, if you don't have wisdom, ask of him and he will give you the wisdom. Why would he not tell you what you should be doing? Right? Because he knows what it is and he's loving and he wants you to know. He's not hiding it. And he's not going to sit there and, you've got to figure it out all on your own. You've got to go through all these different steps. No, he's going to tell you. And he's going to talk to you in your heart. and He's going to get it. So ask him. To show you what your purpose is. And I'm really thinking that you need to do that soon. As I've said before, there's a bunch of weird things happening in this earth. And I'm really thinking that the time is growing short. You have a unique opportunity To be Christ where you are. Don't miss that chance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord God, that you do not leave us unknowing what you want us to do. You've already, before Lord God, we were formed in the womb, you already knew what our purpose was here. Our unique Relationship with you allows us to be the voice, the hands, the feet in a specific spot that the only place that you can reach it is through us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have that. Thank you, Jesus, that people here are listening, that Lord God, people, they are going to live and allow Jesus to live through them. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that, Lord God, that you can manifest yourself in us and glorify yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.